morning. Thank you for taking the time to be together. And uh, I'm just excited this time of year just brings some different things. And I'm excited for this past week. Uh, as I was looking back on this last week, at the end of our first service last Sunday, we had a couple of baptisms and we're praising God for Cliff and Spencer's decisions to make their uh, surrender their lives over to Jesus. And it was funny uh, or fun uh, as I'm talking with different people on their way out. Talked with Ethan Heinley. If you haven't met uh, Kat, Joey, and uh, Ethan yet, I encourage you to do that. Um, and talked with Ethan. I said, is anything fun going on at your house? He said, ah, I've been riding my four-wheeler. And, and uh, anything else? Oh, yeah, I'm going to come back today at 5 o'clock. I'm going to get baptized. And I was like, praise the Lord. I, I was excited about that. And uh, uh, Kat and Joey and Ethan uh, met with Tommy and just... Uh, it was, it was awesome to hear uh, from a week ago Sunday in the evening uh, that Ethan made a decision to surrender his life and to be immersed into Christ. And so let's give God a round of applause for those uh, things taking place. Uh, throughout the week, we've been praying for different individuals. I'm excited to see how the church rises up and uh, spends time in prayer. Uh, that's the most powerful thing we can do as believers is to go to our, our God, our, our Creator, and, and just lay everything at His feet. And so we've been praying for different individuals like Jeannie Boyd. Uh, she's still up at the hospital, continue to lift her up in prayer. But I know individuals have gone up and, uh, and visited and encouraged her, whether it be through phone calls or text messages, prayers. And, and it's been neat to see the church show up in those ways as well. Wednesday night we had... Uh, one of our uh, family night meals, a great meal. Um, it was it was fun coming together. That was that was a neat day, but that was also the day that uh, my girls were heading to Wheatland to meet up with the Wheatland team to head to Tanzania, uh, Arusha, Tanzania, Africa. And so we were praying about that, and I was I was getting the feelings that I'm sure Larry experiences every single time uh, his daughters <coughs> take off. To go on the field, and um, so there's a lot of emotions going on this week, but I know a lot of people are praying for them. Thursday came, and uh, they flew out from Denver, and they made it to uh, Tanzania with no issues or any uh, problems, and everything went really smoothly, and they're there doing ministry uh, alongside of the name of village uh, ministry workers, and so let's just give God a round of applause for that as well. And again, just the week continued on just yesterday. Um, well, a week ago, we were talking about this idea of, you know, what do we see Jesus? You know, when we look at Jesus, what do we see? Do we see him as someone that was looking to, to have a servant or someone that was wanting to be a servant and, and implying that in our own lives as well? And uh, just yesterday, I, I didn't send out a text to everybody, just uh, some sent out a text to see if anybody might be at the last minute to be available to help out an individual here in the church uh, move some different things. And when I say last minute, I mean like 45-minute uh, no, you know, heads up. And some individuals from PV went and helped, and they were able to quickly accomplish what they were hoping to uh, accomplish. And so that was, that was awesome to see you know, the church being the church outside of these walls. And so many of you are doing that on a regular basis. And I'm just praising 
God, that I get to be here and be a part of what God is doing mightily in and through your lives. And so I just encourage you to keep being the church that God is calling you to be as we spend today on Palm Sunday finishing up last week in chapter 10 and uh, working. it works out perfectly as we begin chapter 11 of Mark, uh, the triumphal entry. And so we're in Mark chapter 11 this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And as we get into chapter 11 on this Palm Sunday 2022, it, it begins what many people will call Passion Week. Meaning that Jesus has one week left of life, and Mark is going to spend close to a third of his gospel covering this last week of Jesus' life, which kind of then says that the, the first chapters that we've covered, two-thirds of the gospel according to Mark, have been touching on Jesus' life, the three years of his life leading up to this last week. And you think, well, man, we must be getting really close to finishing out Mark then. If we only got a week left of Jesus' life, well, that, that would normally be true. Uh, but we're going to cover these, these last chapters, chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, over the next four months. And, of course, there's going to be other sermons in there, uh, different uh, Memorial, Father's Day, that sort of thing, but uh, Mother's Day sermons. And so as we, we kind of unpack over the next four months, we're going to look at this last week of Jesus' life and, and what that means for us in our daily lives as disciples of followers of Him. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the saying, here today and what? gone tomorrow, right? And, and that's a, a saying that oftentimes describes how short things can be in this life, here today and gone tomorrow, that things don't last very long. And if you look at what's taking place in the life of Jesus here at the beginning of chapter 11, there's a lot of amazing, awesome things taking place and praises going on. And, and the praises that Jesus received at the beginning of the week, well, they're short-lived, aren't they? As we celebrate Palm Sunday today, I think a similar f phrase is appropriate, and it's the phrase, praises today, curses tomorrow, which is the title of today's message, praises today, curses tomorrow. And as we look at today's verses, I, I think about where Jesus will end up in less than a week, and, and I pray that we as Christians here today, as we look back and remember what took place at this time, that we would not be fickle Christians. That we would not be praises today and curses tomorrow, but that we would remain committed in our faith just as Jesus was committed to us. Will you pray with me as we begin this morning? Father, we desire for your Holy Spirit to be actively working in our lives, and not again just right here, right now, but we do pray that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would be convicting and, and uh, changing and uh, working in, in ways that uh, only your Holy Spirit can work this morning. I pray that the verses that we're reading would be, would be challenging and encouraging and that they would teach us. And so, Father, this morning, again, it's all about you and what you want for us and so may we focus in on you and, and what you would have us here this morning. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. 
Amen. If you are able and willing this morning, will you turn to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and would you stand with me as we read these words from the gospel according to Mark, starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You may be seated. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, the events that unfold really tell the story of his claim, his courage, and his commitment. If you're a note taker this morning, I'd encourage you to write those things down. His claim, his courage, and his commitment. And as you look at these verses, you see his claim. It's the same claim that has always been there. That he is the Messiah. And there's two things about Jesus' entry, his his entry into Jerusalem, that really speak to this claim about being the Savior, the Messiah. And the first is, is what he wrote in on. Do you notice that in these verses? And again, my hope is is that maybe we read these verses with, with a new perspective, trying to read it maybe like we are reading it for the first time. But he rides into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And not just any donkey, it says. It says it was a colt of a donkey that had never been ridden before. Well, what does that mean? What, what, what significance is in that? And as I did some research, it, it was a common practice in Jesus' day for something to be used as something that was sacred or holy to never have been used prior to that, to never have been used before. And so you have Jesus riding in on a donkey that it says has never been ridden before, and and that would make sense because it was going to be used for a holy purpose, to carry the Messiah. And again, if you look at verses 2 and 3 again, Jesus, interestingly enough, gives these instructions on how to go get this donkey. Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, 
tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. And these instructions that Jesus gives, they, I don't know if, if this is just me, but if I'm one of the disciples, I, I would struggle at times with following Jesus' instructions. Anybody else have any problems following Jesus' instructions ever? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is, is that we have those struggles even here today, and yet these disciples go in and do exactly what Jesus asked them, but I'm, I'm guessing they're thinking all along the way, like, okay, here we go. He wants us to do what? To, to go to someone else's property and, and to take that? And as I was reading through different uh, sermons and uh, different commentaries and people's thoughts on this, uh, one person said, you know, it would be kind of like, you know, you go out to your garage and, and then all of a sudden there's someone sitting in your car that's sitting in your garage. And you're like, uh, excuse me, what, what are you doing? And they're trying to start the car, push button or keys or looking for it and hotwire it, whatever. And, and uh, excuse me, uh, can I help you? And oh yeah, I'm, I'm here to take your vehicle. You know, and of course it says that this donkey is fairly new, right? It's a, a Colt, right? And so, you know, your 2022 vehicle that's sitting in your garage, someone's trying to get into it and I'm going to take this for a ride. And you're like, wait a second. And no, no, you can't. Well, Jesus said I could. Uh, Jesus said you okay go ahead right you know and and these owners you know it's funny after first service uh, Mike Bowers came up and showed me a picture of a Dodge Colt and, and if you've seen a Dodge Colt it's not the fanciest looking of vehicles and he said there's no way anyone's going to want to try to steal a Dodge Colt and I'm like well, that's probably true uh, but here these these owners uh, of this Colt this of this donkey you know they're like what are you thinking like who wants this G, G, oh, Jesus wants, well, Jesus wants this donkey that's never been ridden before. There's been no training for this donkey. We're going to send this, you know, fresh, you know, uh, kind of never, never trained um, rookie of a donkey out to, to carry in Jesus. And he, he's got to be crazy to want to ride this animal. And just imagine the people who witness this small incident. It had to get them thinking, like, what's going on here? Jesus is supposed to be the king. He's coming in on a donkey. And so the second thing concerning what he wrote in on that speaks to Jesus' claim to be the Messiah is why a donkey? And again, maybe you have probably have heard this many times over the years as I was putting this together, I was thinking, is there anything new or different? But, and so I just hope that you hear what Jesus wants you to hear and what's taking place. You see, Jesus is riding into the city of Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey, which had incredible symbolic significance to the people of Israel at that time. One of the ancient prophecies about the coming of the Messiah looked forward to this very moment. About 500 years before the birth of Jesus, the Hebrew prophet Zechariah had predicted this very thing. From Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. 
gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, jumping ahead. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is purposefully acting out this prediction. And by doing so, he's claiming that he is the true king. He's the one who's righteous and who brings deliverance to Israel. He's the one who will bring God's peace to all nations and rule as king, not just in Israel, but over the ends of the earth. But what a lot of people don't realize is that this prediction of Zechariah actually recalls an earlier event from 200 to 300 years prior to the prophet Zechariah. You see, Zechariah is actually predicting that what happened at King Solomon's coronation as king back in 790 B.C. He he goes back to that event, and he says that's going to happen again. It's going to happen to another Messiah, another king that will rule. And the book of 1 Kings describes Solomon's coronation this way, from 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 38 through 40. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet jumping ahead, put Solomon on King David's mule and escorted him to Gion. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil, once again jumping ahead, and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing greatly, 1 Kings 1, 38-40. Can you see the similarities between Solomon's coronation in 790 B.C. and Zechariah's prophecy about 300 or so years later in 520 B.C. and then Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in 33 A.D.? You might remember who Solomon was. Well, he was a Hebrew king, David's rightful heir to the throne. And so Zechariah was looking forward to another rightful heir from David's dynasty to one day rule in Israel. And Jesus, he is that king. He is symbolically applying that claim to himself And the people of Jerusalem recognized this and responded as the prophecy said they would with rejoicing and shouting. The people welcomed Jesus as their king, but they did not understand how he wanted to rule. And I just can't help but see the similarities in my own life. Like, Jesus, I want you to be my king, but I want you to rule the way I want you to rule. And it doesn't work that way. In the days of Jesus, if a king ever mounted a horse, it was to go to war. The horse was an animal of battle, of power. 
However, if a king was going on a mission of peace, he would mount a donkey. And the donkey was an animal of peace. It was on a donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not on a horse. But this fact seemed to escape the notice of the crowd. And they're cheering, Hosanna! And then this word Hosanna is, is later used more often merely just as the word hail. But the word as originally used meant save us. More of a, as a prayer of the Messiah to save them. Praying that this Messiah would lead them in conquest of their enemies. And the people wanted Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom, and yet Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom. What Jesus wanted was not to be welcomed into their legislature, but into their lives. And the truth is still true today. That truth is still true today that Jesus doesn't want to be welcomed into our legislature but he wants to be welcomed into our lives. He desires to be our Lord, to be our King. Jesus comes in peace to bring us peace. Peace that is found only in him. You see, when someone welcomes Jesus into their lives and lets the Holy Spirit really rule, they can experience something that this world can never offer. And that's salvation from the sin that leads to death. Jesus brought his claim to be a savior of peace to a crowd who wanted him to be something else. Which says something else about Jesus. His courage. His courage. While he was surrounded by a crowd who had their own ideas about the kind of Messiah that he would be, Jesus was willing to remain committed and he was courageous. He had courage to stand up in the middle of a crowd and say, it's not what you guys want from me, but it's what my Father in heaven wants from me. And I see that applying in our own lives as well. Are, are we willing to say, it's not about the crowd and what the crowd wants from me, because we're easily influenced by this world, aren't we? Our friends, our family members, our co-workers. It's easy to want to give in to what everybody else wants us to do. There's this thing called peer pressure, and it doesn't go away after we no longer teenagers. As adults, we face this, and we have to be willing to stand up in the midst of a crowd. I, I found an illustration of this this past week. The book Tom Brown's School Days contains a story about a boy who had the courage to stand up in the middle of the crowd. It went like this. Tom Brown was a student at Rugby Boys School when a new boy enrolled. And on his first night in a room with 12 beds and 11 other boys, this new boy knelt down to say his evening prayers. And Tom turned his head just in time to see a, a heavy slipper flying through the air toward the head of the new boy. 
When the lights went out a little later, Tom Brown thought of his mother and the prayers she had taught him to say, which he had never done since he came to Rugby. He decided that the next time he went to bed, he too would say his prayers. The next night, the other boys in the room, ready to laugh and scoff at the newcomer who said his prayers, were amazed to see Tom Brown, whom they all respected and feared, kneel down at the side of his bed to pray. That boy's courage, pr- courageous prayer, in spite of the ridicule, won him the respect of all his companions. And he later became one of the most distinguished men of the Church of England. This past Wednesday night, we read on our Wednesday night with our kids, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And we were discussing on Wednesday night with our little kids that if we're going to be obedient to God, we have to spend time in prayer. We have to communicate with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus, once again, is a perfect example of this. Willing to be courageous and stand up for what is right, even when the whole crowd around him wanted him to be something different, something other than what his Heavenly Father called him to be. He was courageous, and he wasn't anxious, and he goes to God with everything going on by prayer and petition, And Brooks, my six-year-old, almost seven-year-old, says, what do you mean with Thanksgiving? I said, well, Thanksgiving is more than just a holiday where we we celebrate, you know, and, and have a meal together. It's an attitude of the heart of how we always are grateful to God and, and thanking Him for whatever takes place in our lives. And we present with Thanksgiving our request before God. See, that's how we can be courageous is by going to God with everything that's going on in our lives, not being anxious, not being worried, not being concerned about what somebody else is going to think, but standing up for the truth. Oh, how we need to imitate the courage that Jesus had. One of the key lines at the the NPEA leadership conference that was brought out is this, this idea of the need for us to imitate, not necessarily innovate. You see, God's word, we don't have to make it new and, and, and flashy and, and different than what it already is because it is powerful in of itself. What we just have to do is we have to imitate what it teaches. We, we have to imitate Jesus as our king, as our Lord. And if we are to imitate him in every aspect of his life, we have to be as courageous as he was. To have that courage that says, it doesn't matter what the crowd says that I ought to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, it's not about what everybody else around us says. It's about what God says in our lives. That's the voice that we need to be listening to. We should have the courage to obey God no matter what those around us are telling us. And the reason is, is that right is still right, no matter how many people say it is wrong, and wrong is still wrong, no matter how many people 
say it is right. The world that we live in is turned upside down, and it's a world that we think maybe is the worst it's ever been, and yet Isaiah spoke about that kind of world in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, where Isaiah writes, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. You see, what a difference could be made if God's people had the courage that Jesus demonstrated here in this moment. The courage to do what God says no matter what others say. There's one more thing that we should note about Jesus as revealed by this event that began the last week of his life here on this earth. And that's his commitment. His commitment you see, his entry into Jerusalem that Sunday wasn't just like a harebrained idea, like all of a sudden, like, hey, let's head to Jerusalem, see what happens. No, uh, that's not how it happened. It was something that had been prepared in advance, dare I say, from the very beginning of creation. See, when it comes to how the donkey was provided, there's some different thoughts on how that might have taken place. Was it possibly a donkey that was provided by a result of divine omniscience, meaning that God uh, divinely made that take place? Others believe that could it be Jesus possibly had arranged it ahead of time? I, I think both are, are high possibilities. But, but I, when I look at either of those possibilities, I look at the reality that God was at work, wasn't he? He was at work upstream in this situation, just like God is at work upstream in our everyday lives. And no matter how the getting of this donkey came about, it was something that was always going to come about. See, there, there was a plan Entering the city on a donkey in fulfillment was a fulfillment of divine prophecy. It was something that Jesus was supposed to do. And Jesus committed himself to doing that. Just as God calls us to do things in this life, we have to be willing to be committed to follow through with those things. Jesus looked over the temple in verse 11, as we read that, he looks it over and then returns to Bethany. And you wonder, well, why was he looking over the temple? Well, it's because the very next day, he would return to clear the money changers out of it. See, he knew what he was supposed to do, and he committed himself to doing it. He didn't shy away. As Jesus entered this last week, of his life here on this earth, he entered with his eyes wide open. There wasn't anything that was coming at him that was going to be a surprise. He knew exactly what was to, he was to do and, and how the people all around him were going to react. He knew that on Sunday he would be welcomed by a crowd of people who didn't really understand who he was. He knew that on Monday he would anger religious leaders by running the money changers out of the temple. 
He knew that on Tuesday he'd be questioned about his authority to teach the things he taught and do the things he did. He knew that on Thursday one follower would betray him, another would deny him, and the rest would forsake him. See, he knew that on Friday he'd suffer death on the cross for the sins of all mankind. Yes, Jesus knew all these things. And yet he still committed himself to doing what had to be done that week. And it was already mentioned this morning by Brian. It was because he believed that you and I were worth it. Everything he went through, he knew that you and I were worth it. In John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, verse 17 and 18 from the New American Standard Bible says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. You see, it was out of love for you and I, out of Jesus' love for us in obedience to the Father, Jesus committed himself to doing what had to be done. Yes, he knew full well what awaited him that week. He knew that he would suffer and die. And he knew that three days later he would be raised from the dead. And this was something that he had committed himself to even in eternity past. See, Jesus was committed to us. And I wonder this morning, how committed are we to Jesus? Are we praises today, curses tomorrow? Or are we willing to stand firm in our faith? So I would challenge us, as Paul challenged the church in Corinth from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. And that's the exact example Jesus gave us as his disciples to follow. And so I want to close with some lyrics from Phil Kege's song, Maker of the Universe, that really emphasizes Jesus' commitment from the very beginning. The lyrics go like this. His holy fingers made the bough that grew the thorns that crowned his brow. The nails that pierced his hands were mined in secret places he designed. He made the forest whence there sprung the tree on which his body hung. He died upon a cross of wood yet made the hill 
on which it stood. The spear which spilled his precious blood was tempered in the fires of God. The grave in which his form was laid was hewn in rocks his hands had made. The throne on which he now appears was his from everlasting years. But now a new glory crowns his brow, and one day every knee to him shall bow. As the praise team comes, I think about this idea of Jesus' claim, his courage, and his commitment, and I wonder about us. What about our claim? Do we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Do we have the courage to stand up in the crowd, to, to live out our faith? And are we committed every day to live that faith out? If you've never bowed your knee to the creator of the universe, the one who is willing to enter the city that would lead to his death, if you've never committed your life to Jesus the way that Jesus has committed his life to saving your soul, I would invite you, to have the courage to come. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, then today is the day that you should be baptized into Christ. Making Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, publicly known this morning, which says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself for each and every one that's willing to receive that gift of grace and forgiveness, mercy, and if you need to do that for the very first time, we'd invite you to come. If you need just someone to pray with you, if you need to make PV your church home, we're going to sing a song of invitation. If you'd come during that song, will you stand with us this morning? <laughs>